Hey, this is a Hakawadi production. My guest today has one of the best accounts on Instagram, in my opinion. Her series of photographs look like cinematic stills that are overlaid with subtitles, stringing together stories of heartbreak and exposing our common fears and insecurities, but in a really honest and relatable way. Her work went viral overnight when she started in 2014 with her breakout series, Sex and Takeout. Since then, she's gone on to produce several series of photographs with titles like Bonjour Bitch and I Love You, Me Neither. She shot DJ Khaled for a cover of GQ Middle East last year, and she's directed several short films and videos, including an ad for Gucci's Guilty Fragrance, and just last summer, a super cool music video with Kaigo for the remix of Tina Turner's epic hit, What's Love Got To Do With It? She's based in LA, but of Palestinian-Jordanian descent, and she's just released a series called Aib, which translates in English to shame. It's a series of 32 pictures featuring herself, and it's the first time she uses herself as the muse, in fact, And it's also the first time she features an Arab woman and an Arab theme. I'm so happy to have her on the show today. Please welcome Sarah Baba. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the men's room. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm in recovery from being sick, but I'm good. Thanks. Well, you sound you sound great. So really appreciate that that you're here. First of all, I'm a huge fan of your work. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure you get that a lot. Um, I, I really love the Kygo video you directed, by the way, this summer. Um, that actress, Laura Harrier, from the Netflix oh series Hollywood. She's amazing, right? She's really good. Uh, she's not just amazing. She's so, like, as a human, she's so beautiful and very, like, sweet. And I just, I really enjoyed working with her. She was, yeah, such a blessing to have on set. <laughs> yeah, you can see that when, when she's acting. It really comes across, like, there's something kind of magical about her. Um, and that's yeah. in that song, uh, What's Love Got to Do With It, fits so well with your work because it basically spells out the truth about what we call yeah. love in a way. Right. I don't know. Did you think that? Yeah, I think it's um I mean when you compare I think the problem with us is we always we get confused between what's lust and what's love. And um sometimes, you know, toxic love comes in all forms and we perceive that as like unconditional love or true love or whatnot. But um yeah, I think there's there's so many realms of love. Definitely. <laughs> and, and the song and the song What's Love actually questions that. And I think it's really yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And I feel like you choose your collaborations very carefully. So kudos to you on that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I um it's a, it takes a lot to create. So um like to make any form of art, I feel like it knocks me out for six months. So I just want to make sure that whatever projects I take on I'm like very excited about it. I have a story to tell and um, it'll be worth the recovery afterwards. I don't think people realize that though, that it's that much work. Is it like um, an intense schedule? Like why does it knock you out for six months? Um, it's because it it's so emotional for me. My process is very um, internal and um, I can't really create art unless I'm, I'm like overcoming an experience or, um, you know, it, I really do. I create based on like wanting to heal like the wounds that I have. And so that work that it takes to get to that place of feeling like you're able to lift 
um, the the negative energy around an experience that that knocks me out. It's so exhausting because you have to constantly be immersed in it in order to be able to create an authentic story that people can connect to. Yeah, and I think that's the secret to your success. You're you're so authentic, and people really relate to that. And actually. You know, I and many of my friends around the world fell in love at first sight with your work uh, from the moment that we saw it because of that reason. I think we all kind of get how you feel. You, you're so good at putting across these emotions that we all have, I think, as human beings. But um, and I have one of your friends, by the way, from Sex and Takeout, the one with a girl on the bed eating pizza. Oh, amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I love that. And uh, the original picture did really well, right? Didn't it sell for like $20,000? Um, the max it sold for was like $25,000 or something. That's Maybe amazing. Maybe even $30,000. I, I can't remember. It was it was a while ago. But That's yeah, amazing. It was a lot. <laughs> I'm sure people don't think it like, like you're so successful on Instagram, but the fact is that you're, you know, a collected photographer, uh, artist photographer. So um, yeah, I think that's w worth reminding people of. So Tell us about Ibe. I don't know if I said that right. Ibe, uh, Ibe. I, I, I also struggle to say it because of my Australian accent. But um, yeah, so Ibe was a series I created for um, my, I guess myself. It was, um, you know, it's quarantine kind of put me in a state like the pandemic. Uh, I deactivated Instagram for two months and I really just wanted to do some like self-reflection and, you know, go deeper than I already have. And uh, something that I was struggling with is like my confidence in what I look like. And um, my relationship with my body has always been very harsh and very brutal. And I've never really been kind to myself and I've never really like been able to embrace what I look like or, um, I guess, like, how I exist in, in the physical space. Um, and so I took the next two months off Instagram. I completely deactivated and disconnected, and I was in the desert. And um, I just, like, I started asking myself questions I, I never really have before. And I'm like, what what is it that you believe about what you look like? Do you think you're ugly? Like, when did you first, like, make that belief? And I had to go so deep in it. And I asked, you know, it, it all went back to my childhood. And, you know, I was like severely bullied in primary school. And, you know, I grew up in Australia. And when you're Arab and everyone is just like, you know, traditional, like Eurocentric, um, you know, white, blue-eyed, blonde hair. And then you come in as this like frizzy-haired, <laughs> like brown kid. Um, and I, I feel like I was just isolated. And I got, I did get, um, yeah, I got bullied a lot. And so I just never felt like I was safe in in white spaces and so like you know my audience is predominantly well it used to be predominantly white and so I just I always catered to like the the white you know gaze as opposed to just like um diversifying and I was just so completely whitewashed because of you know the way I grew up and so when I created Eb, I was like what how do I um how do I get to a place where I'm comfortable to be in front of the camera um and you know what's that what's that going to take what does that look like and and so I began that process and I basically took every story that I've ever told and I integrated it into this one series and instead of using a non-Arab talent I used myself and uh And yeah, it, was, it basically feels like a collection of 28 years of my life in a set of 30, 
31 photographs. Oh, 31. Yeah. I thought it was 32. Um, yeah, I mean, so you not only used yourself, um, you added Arabic subtitles, which was new, which is super interesting because, you know, there's a whole world that you're you're connecting with now that are not necessarily interested in anything in English. So this is really um, speaking to them in a whole new way. And then the food you show is Arabic and the cast and the crew were all Middle Eastern um, and North African. So you really went all out with the Arab theme, right? Yeah. Uh, and and I think that, the of course, you touch on the same themes again of uh, or what you talked about, about feeling like um, you never felt uh, satisfied with your appearance. This is something I think that resonates not just with women, but I, I know a lot of guys feel that way, too, especially today with all the pressure that we have to look a certain way. So, yeah, you, the and the intensity that you present that with, I think, um, really makes people think about how kind of ridiculous it all is in a way at the same time you know you feel that way you're like yeah I feel that way and then when everyone realizes that everyone feels that way you kind of like well why are we all feeling this way so I think you're doing a service to yeah. society so thank you Sarah <laughs> thank you so I think um I mean they are such there are such harsh unattainable standards especially with uh Instagram and like these filters and you know no one is no longer comfortable looking at themselves in the camera like in the selfie camera without putting a filter on top of them and like that to me is the craziest thing like we are all we're adapting so quickly to technology and these unrealistic high standards of like western beauty and if we don't look like that then we feel like we don't belong but the reality is like that standard is unattainable it's completely like it's 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 you know <laughs> it's it's messing with all of our heads don't and, be shy uh, with the language We're f we're free here. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Yes, I know um, what you were gonna say. I I yeah yeah, but but that's so true. And what's interesting is your photos are beautiful, and the people in your photos are beautiful, and you look beautiful. But they're not filtered and photoshopped in the same way most of the stuff we see on Instagram, which is one of the reasons they stand out. Um, but I mean, you're totally right. I think if aliens use Instagram to try to figure out what humans look like, um, they'll be pretty surprised when they get here. I think. Yeah, that'd be super disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, I love also you have uh, one or one uh, picture that you did, or maybe you've taken several pictures of yourself on on bathroom counters from behind, or is that just one yeah. picture? The not your habibti or mish habibti in Arabic? Yeah, I did. Um, I did a. I started this series just like while I was traveling Europe over the past few years, um, where I would just take like a really uh, sexy bathroom selfie just and I was like, intending to eventually do an exhibition of just like bathroom selfies and, you know, make it my own and, but um, it just ended up just being like a side personal thing. But when I released that print, um, I was feeling kind of brave and this was like, I released it when I was, um, when I got back onto Instagram after having been away for two months and having done all that work. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see how my audience feels about my body on Instagram. So it was almost like a test because I'd never done it before. 
And it, it honestly, it was received so well. I ended up breaking a record for print sales. And I was like, okay, cool. This is the confidence boost I need to release Ev. Yeah. You, um, and you sold yeah. like thousands of those, right? And you offered them, like it was interesting the way you priced them. You were pricing them, I think, from 50, for the prints, 50 to $300. 300 is what you usually sell your prints for. And basically yeah. said like, whatever you can pay. So when you do something like that, do people actually pay $300 if they know they can get it for 50 Yeah, they do. They, um, yeah, most, not most people. I want to say like 15 to 15% of people pay them the max and then like 25% pay like more than the minimum. And then everyone else pays the minimum. But honestly, like for me, it's, I just, you know, I have a problem with the traditional art world and I feel like it's very elitist and, um, you know, the top 1% are just like, I, I how do I say this nicely? Um, <laughs> they're all just like jacking each other off, and they're like, "I own this person's art, and I'm this, and I collected this, and I was the first to collect it." And it's all about like status when it comes to the traditional art world, and it's not really about. Well, I personally, it's it it is a very much white space catered to like the billionaires, and so when art is that inaccessible, it it kind of like takes away from, you know, the authenticity and the connection people have with art because like how are they going to connect to a piece that some white man has in his storage cabinet in the fucking middle of like New Jersey you know and I just want to like I just want to challenge the art world in this way because like I'm not going to wait around for this notoriety from these like museums that are all white-led and that don't give you know women in general much space let alone like brown or black women and And it's just like, how can I, how can I challenge this, like these traditions? How can I like push past it? And so I went from being in these galleries and, you know, doing all these international outfits to being like, fuck that. I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to use, you know, my Instagram platform to, to, to start like a base of collectors and just give it to them for like whatever they can pay. And I don't want it to be about the money. I want it to be about the connection people have to the art being made. And like, why should art have a value number on it to determine how successful the artist is or not, you know? Um, and so like, I just, I wanted to move away from that idea that like the more expensive the art is, the more valuable the artist is. And I wanted to say, no, like let's make the art as low as possible, but let me show you how impactful I am, you know? Definitely. And how impactful this art is, yeah. And so that that's why I've done Pay What You Can. Cause like, I, it's it doesn't it, it shouldn't be about the money it should be about the work and and that's that's the reality yeah I really don't see it as devaluing your work at all actually I thought it was really cool and it's kind of like a democratic way of of doing it and in a way that's really like as you said showing that you're not doing the art just to you know elevate yourself to this like iconic uh you know realm it's you know you're really doing it in an authentic way but um that picture also I just want to say like I really love the caption that you put that was you said good morning to everyone except those who don't appreciate booty for breakfast so that's pretty bold <laughs> your work is quite overtly sexual let's be honest um and yeah. especially for the Arab world do, and you know uh, not your Habibti it's, that's pretty bold do you get a lot of blowback for your work and especially with Aib have you gotten a lot of negative uh, feedback so I 
I when I released it on my Instagram, it was only love. It was so positive um, the entire time. Maybe there was like one or two comments where people were like, "Oh, why are you using like, um, you know, textbook Arabic? There's no like slang in it and whatnot." And but that was a decision we actively made because we wanted it to be. Um, you know, mostly in Fusal, like we wanted people to be able to um, read it from every region. Um, but like, I personally like only understand like Palestinian slang like the best. Um, but then like, I guess like when I was working with the translators, um, we it was just a decision we made together to just like use that specific um, Arabic instead of like going more slang and being more relatable because we wanted it to be, you know, uh, what's nationally recognized yeah. by the Arab world. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that um, makes sense. Yeah, so I think that was the only negative feedback I got to start. Um, and then as the series finished and, you know, some Palestinian accounts started, like, putting it, you know, on, on their platforms and more Arabs were seeing it, um, I, you know, I did, even this week, I just, I recently got berated with messages uh, and comments from, um, yeah, I want to say Arab Muslim men who assume, who, who kind of, um, he, they obviously didn't appreciate it. Um, and, <laughs> you know, they called me everything under the sun and, you know, they, lots of, lots of air, lots of shame, but like, this is what we prepared for. And, you know, the, these reactions were, um, completely expected and, and, you know, I feel like, with that in mind, like, I can't take it personally because we know, like, the reason why I'm doing this series in the first place is to eliminate the guilt and shame I feel around wanting to be liberated and wanting to speak freely about my sexuality and my desires and my indulgences. And, like, you know, I really, truly, like, created Ed to embody, like, what, you know, embody myself and my journey and, and my beliefs and as a Western Arab. And so I, I know that's entirely different for you know, uh, women and men who come from the Middle East, because I grew up in the Western world as an Arab. And so I, I, I only can tell my story. And that's what I did. And, and obviously, it's going to offend a lot of people. And it's also going to inspire a lot of people. And I'm super happy that I did the work. Yeah. Um, th there's actually a shot where you're actually pleasuring yourself, which is really uh, can be shocking to a lot of people, even white people. So what about like, I'm sure, you know, you got blowback, as you mentioned, but what about your family? Um, my family. <laughs> uh, so I had to call all my siblings and my cousins before I released the series. And I was just like, all right, guys, we have to work together to make sure mom never sees this. <laughs> And um, she hasn't yet. And I know if she does, she will be extremely devastated. Um, she might not talk to me again. So, uh, yeah, it's tough because, you know, a lot of the guilt and shame that I have around my identity and my desires have um, have stemmed from the fear of God, like my mom's put in my head. And, you know, we were raised to believe sex was um, sex is bad and until you're married and like I couldn't even like you know put my this sounds super weird to say but like when I was a kid I would keep my hands in my pants um and that was like a 
when I was going to sleep. And that was like my subconscious way of protecting myself because of the things that were happening to me behind closed doors. And I remember one time mom was like, Sarah, you can't keep your hands in your pants. And like, she, she comes and removes them. And I, it was just confusing to me because I thought I was protecting myself by doing that. And so, um, yeah, it was just like, and we weren't allowed to wear tampons because like anything inserted up your vagina was bad. And like, um, yeah, there was just this whole eerie, like taboo around like our body. And like, it, like we weren't allowed to feel connected to our own genitals essentially. And, and that to me is, that's wild. Like to have so much guilt and shame around something that is a part of you is, you know, that that's, that's really hard to um, overcome. And so it takes so much work. And like, for me to be able to sit there and say I had to pleasure myself twice today just to wake up, like that that took years of undoing these harsh beliefs that I, you know, I, I really truly believe that I wasn't allowed to say these things because I would be condemned to hell. And 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 that's not that's not that's not that's not nice. That's not kind. Like we as women should be able to celebrate every part of ourselves and and it doesn't mean we're like shadmutas or whatever. It literally is just saying like, this is my body. And if I want to touch it, I should be able to without feeling weirdness or shame or guilt, you know? Yeah. But what do you think would happen if a guy posted a picture like that? Um, I mean, I don't know. I haven't really, I haven't really thought about that. I think people would just think it's funny. Maybe really? Just I think people would it. think it's creepy. I think people would be like, what a pervert. Why is he like doing that? I don't know. You don't have never seen any guy like, I mean. <laughs> yeah, actually, I agree with you. I, that would be super weird. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess there's stigma around that too for men. But the thing is, it was the men who enforced these rules on us to begin with. So like to see a woman kind of fight against the patriarchy is a beautiful thing. Yeah, I can see I can see where you're going from uh, go, coming from. But um you mentioned that you know that you were trying to protect yourself which bring me brings me to the next question which is about this video that you released um where you're reciting a poem in a bubble bath basically. Um just yeah. to set the, the scene there's a bubble bath. You have this beautiful pink like vintage looking bathtub by the way. Is that in your house? Uh, no, it was a blue bathtub. For oh, this blue, scene, pink, but, blue. Um, I'm colorblind, yeah. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it looked pink um, to me. Yeah. No, okay, blue. It was a vintage pastel color. That's what I remember. Yeah, it's a pastel blue. Um, there was a pastel pink shisha. Maybe that's where the pink comes in. Um, argile. Uh, yeah. Um, what would you like to know about? And you and you're eating kenefe, I think, in that series, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. Looks so good. So I want to play a little piece of that poem and ask you about it after. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I think about dying all the time. What you did to me as a child, disconnected from this earth because of your crime. You think I don't remember even till this day? But don't you see, you gave it away. When you looked me in the eye, when you passed the hallway, moaning as I undressed. I'm sorry, mom, I can't stay. Is, is this poem about you or does it refer to someone you know? Uh, it's, about, it's about me and someone in my family. Yeah, so 
so you're basically bringing attention to child abuse, which is really, you know, important uh, topic that people talk a lot more about, I think, in, in the U.S. and the Arab world. It's not really something that people ever, ever talk about. But, you yeah. know, um, it's worth pointing out that around one in five girls and one in 16 boys, is that the figures you've read, have suffered yeah. some form of sexual abuse? Yeah, yeah, the numbers are really high. And uh, the thing is, it happens, it happens to more, like, if you're in a group of five people, the chances of one of them being, have, having been, like, childly abused as a child um, is really high. And that's the thing, like, we're constantly, like, moving around, we're seeing people, and no one really, like, knows their story and their journey. And most people who have been abused as children tend to not even remember, depending on, like, the age it started happening um and so this stuff will always come up later it manifests into like your behavior and your patterns and like your desires and and like it needs to be like nipped in the butt from the start and I think um parents especially don't have the language or the um we aren't given the tools as like parents to um be able to know what to say to your child if that's happened and like what treatment to put them in and like um it's because it's it's still such a stigma and and this is why we need to talk about it so like you know that conversation does happen and that parents are able to then talk to their children and know exactly what to say to them to to know that they're safe to talk about what's happening to them if it's happening behind closed doors you know but the, this language is yet to become norm and it's not accessible. It's not easily accessible. So it's just like, we need to do a better job about talking about it. And then like having these, this dialogue available for every single parent, even if they don't think something's happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm so sorry that happened to you, but thank you for bringing it up in such an engaging way. You know, of course, sexual abuse is such a profound violation of children's rights. And I think yeah. basically like the worst, most disgusting thing a human being could do, um, you know, little kids. So but but to continue and move on, I know that you've said that you listen to music when you're working on a project. What did yeah. you listen to as music for for this one for Ibe? Um, what did I listen to? I mean, I have, I actually have the Spotify playlist in front of me. One sec. Um, so I actually created Ab when I was, um, I was going through a bit of a, a, not a breakup, but I had like a situation I was ending and, uh, there's, I mean, there's a whole playlist that I had on repeat, so it's not really relevant to the series, but, um, it was just there when I was creating it. But there's, I mean, it's such a, there's a lot of emotional oranges on there and... Um, emotional oranges? Yeah, great band. You have to listen to You them. have great taste in music, um, by the way, because I've looked at what other music, <laughs> I discovered a lot of music today when I was researching what I used to listen to. Like, uh, And I watched that video yeah. that you really loved uh, by, uh, what is it called? Impala. Tame Impala. <laughs> Yeah, Tame Impala. Yeah. You, you recommended this video. That you were talking about this video, and I watched it because it's a video. It's such a colorful video, and you really get kind of drawn into the story. And it's quite also. It's similar to your work in some ways. I'm sure it was inspiring yeah, yeah. for you. So yeah, I love the directors for um, the less I know the better, which is the music video you're talking about. Is um, they're Canada, and they've done incredible work. Like I love everything that they've produced, so I highly recommend checking them yeah, out. Yeah, I like the name too. 
Canada. Yeah. That's where I'm from. <laughs> but I, I would love if you shared that that uh, playlist with us. So if we if we remember yeah. to do that afterwards. Um, your work, as I said, is very colorful. And not only do you use colorful people, you often use, you know, black people. Now, you know, you have like a, an Arab, Arab series, but there are often also like flowers and food. First of all, I want to ask you, why do you have so much food in your images? What does it represent? Um, so it represents my love for food. Food is a love language of mine. Um, you know, when I grew up at home, like my mom is, she's such a giver. She's such a nurturer and she's such an incredible cook, chef, I want to call her. Um, so every um every day like we would wake up to just like a home-cooked meal we'd have like our traditional spreads like all available to us at whenever we wanted we had hummus full baba ganoush um we had tahini we had like just everything like always in our fridge and food is food really is a love language and it's the way my mom showed us that she loved us because she wanted to make sure we were cared for and nourished and like and so when I When I use food um, in my work, it's a celebration of that. And the reason why I celebrate it so much is because I did have a really terrible relationship with food because, you know, growing up at home, you're being fed and nourished to this extent. But then, like, you have the Western standards of beauty fighting against you, saying, like, you can't be curvy. You have to look like a little boy. And, like, um, you know, I, I struggled with body dysmorphia and eating disorders for, like, 12 years and so when I incorporated food in my work for the first time it was because I wanted to show that I'm I'm in this like recovery process I'm healing I'm learning to love my relationship with food again and I shouldn't feel guilt or shame for wanting to indulge and eat what I want because these come from my roots like we are we are raised to express ourselves food through food and with love you know yeah well you sure make food look really sexy I'm just gonna say thank you <laughs> what about cigarettes there's also a lot of smoking going on in your work do you smoke <laughs> no of course not um, mom <laughs> no no I I mean I I socially definitely smoke um I smoke more weed than anything um but I also like I do everything in moderation now when I was younger I abused everything and now I'm just like very responsible about it so That's good to know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you're Jordanian-Palestinian, but you grew up in Australia, like many other Palestinians who were forced to leave their homeland because they were basically robbed of everything they owned in their own country, including any viable future. So from yeah. your perspective as a creative who makes their living in the public sphere, what is the single biggest difference between these two worlds, the East and the West, the Middle East, Australia, the Middle East, and, and L.A.? Oh, gosh. Um Oh, that's a tough question. I would need to think about that. Honestly, I don't want to just um, spit out an answer. Uh, I feel like. Um, do you think West you could? Do you think you could do what you do uh, there if you were in the, you know, still living in in the Middle East? If you lived in Amman, for example, or in Dubai? I mean, I can't speak to that because I I never have. Like my parents didn't um, take us back, so. I don't, I don't know what that would be like. Um, I can only speak from my experiences and I know that I recognize that I have such a privilege simply being able to exist as a Palestinian in a Western space. Um, 
and I have I have access to way more resources and I have more freedom because the culture that I'm in, the Western culture doesn't um, guilt and shame women for being uh, uh, assertive and being more vocal. Whereas, you know, I, I know just simply based on like existing at home that I can't say these things uh, even to my parents without feeling guilt or shame. So I know there is like, there is a difference in terms of like what is accepted. Um, and I recognize that being in the Western world, I do have a privilege as an Arab woman. Yeah, I, I'm going to say that I think that if you were doing what you do in any of the cities I mentioned or most cities across the Middle East, you probably would have been arrested by now. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that for a fact, like, you know, the women in even in Egypt are still getting arrested for doing like very innocent dance videos on TikTok. Like it's there's so much work that needs to be done. It's, it's yeah. crazy. I wonder how this affects yeah. people. Like sometimes, you know, we know that when people try to censor things, it makes you even more want to, you know, do bad things and, and it has the opposite effect. So I wonder how it affects, uh, you know, societies to have this kind of censorship be interesting to kind of analyze all the all the behaviors of people based on you know what they see what they watch but i guess that would be a hard study to do <laughs> yeah definitely um it, i mean we're seeing it over time regardless like yeah. we're, i think people are becoming stronger in asserting their voices and you know we are we're all actively collectively as women and as Arab women fighting to be heard and to be seen and to be liberated and and black women too. And I mean, yeah, it's 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 a huge fight and we're all on this journey together and separately, but together, you know? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sarah, as someone who has clearly thought a lot about love and kind of scrutinized failed relationships, do you still believe in love? Or are we as a species just driven by like primal instincts and survival? And we've kind of been brainwashed into this romantic idea of love, which never seems to work out, especially at least in your stories. Um, it's. Do you think it's something that's been created to help sell movies and maybe even photographs? <laughs> um my relationship with love is a work in progress I think we are all love we are all born into this world as like a bowl of love and then as we move through time and experiences we create all these harsh beliefs that stem from hatred and they kind of take over and so we're like our core is love and then imagine an onion core and and then suddenly all these layers are being built on top of love and it it kind of like every layer is hatred and like a negative belief we have about ourselves and and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and suddenly we're these giant fucking onions moving around and we're no longer existing as love we're existing with like such heavy ego that's so harsh and cruel and mean to ourselves and so we're all trying to find this thing called love but we have so much shit in the way and so I think love really does exist, but in order to experience it, you have to find it within yourself. And so you have to go through the work, you have to do the work and like uncover all these harsh beliefs and go back to your core as love. And in order for it to be successful with a part in partnership, you need to make sure the person that you're going into partnership is also doing the work to go back to their core of love. And if you two can simply exist as love and be completely aware of where these layers came from and where these beliefs came from, then you are going to have a very successful relationship because you would have learned that communication is key, not just with 
the person in front of you, but with yourself and like being able to have that conversation, like, oh, I'm feeling this way because it triggered this wound. And so I'm going to nurture it with love today, with the love of my core. Like there's so many things that I feel about this and I'm still working on it. And, you know, it's failed so many times in my life because I've thought like, oh, I've done the work, I've done the work. But then like the universe is like, no, you haven't. Keep going, keep going. You still have this cycle you need to break. And yeah, there's, I feel a lot of things. That's such a good, <laughs> uh, an interesting way of thinking of it, of thinking of ourselves as onions with layers that need yeah. to be peeled back and that we have all this common core. That's a really good visual. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so you're welcome. So you obviously um, have shared so much of your soul um, with the world. Are there any downsides to doing that, to sharing yourself so publicly like this, both physically and emotionally? Um. I would say the downside is it just, like I said at the start, I really do get knocked out. Um, cause like when, when I'm in this process, I'm, I'm at rock bottom and like of creating and it really pains me to be able to have to face everything that I'm feeling. Um, just cause I'm really good at compartmentalizing. And so like the darkness, it just, it becomes overbearing. And when it's at that point, that's when I have to face it. And so, um, I'll go through that process for like a few months and then I'll, once my project is finished, I'll, I'll stare at it for a while and I'll make sure that I'm mentally in the right headspace to release it. And then I do. And then once I release it, it's no longer mine because I've, I, the, the process and the creating it is mine. But when I put it out there, I, I have to make sure I'm removed from it at this point, because if I, take in everyone else's like energy towards it then I it'll really really deplete me so like I just I kind of just like put it out there I use Instagram as a tool to just give it to the world and then like I have to personally disconnect because it it hurts too much to have to like experience my own emotions and then like everyone else's responses to you know yeah because actually you know everyone is kind of uh interpreting it in their own way and and so yeah it's not it, there's no point really um but don't you ever worry that then when you meet people after you do work like that that they think that you're that person and maybe you're not or maybe you've changed or or maybe you're worried that well they already know me then why would they want to get to know me better do you know what I mean yeah I don't I I don't really have that concern I think like you know we are we as humans have so many layers and like so many stories and if I confine myself to one series that I've done and people label me as that then that's just like ignorant of them you know like I I am I I have so many sides I have so many stories and like I'm not just one thing that I make I you know and anyone who would assume that would would just be like I feel like ignorant like again you know we're we all we're also multifaceted and um yeah I we're think all like multifaceted when I, onions yeah and when <laughs> I you know when I speak about like my traumas and my experiences like I'm speaking about them because I've overcome them I'm not I'm, I'm overcoming them but they're they're a part of me but they're not who I am like I you know, I soared past that. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I have so many sides. I am not, I'm not just like this trauma, anxious, depressed girl. I'm fucking like boss bitch entrepreneur too. And like, whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm a, I'm a nurturer. I'm a mom to my friends. Like there's so many sides to me personally. And we, as humans, we all have that. We all have like our elements and it's amazing. 
I love that we can be so diverse. <laughs> yes. And you certainly are a boss bitch entrepreneur, for sure. Um, a lot of these motivational figures that are all over social media right now, like, you know, Gary Vee, for example, I'm sure you know who he is. Do you? No, I don't. <laughs> you don't know Gary no, Vee? Everyone knows Gary Vee. He's yeah. like this amazing um, kind of motivator guy. He has a bunch of businesses. He started out like as a wine critic, but but he basically likes to help people grow their social media and stuff. And one of the things that he says, and a lot of people are saying is like, you have to share yourself in your social media. Just go ahead and grab that camera and connect with people and be yourself. Do you think that this isn't, and it's what you're doing, but you're doing it in a much more creative, artistic, polished way, but in the sense that you're giving of yourself, um, it's the same. Do you think this is in fact necessary these days in order to stand out from all the content out there, um, especially if you're someone in the arts? Um, I think, I think, yeah. what do I think about this? I think you, people need authenticity. People need vulnerability now more than ever, just because you know, social media is so heavily curated to to appear perfection, like as perfection. And everyone's so careful about what they post and everything just seems so structured and conformed. And I think the reason why my work personally connects with so many people is because I'm telling an authentic story that's raw, it's rough. It's like, it's true to what I've been through and my experiences. And so people see it and they connect because they can relate. And so I think what makes what makes um, social media work and is relatability, uniqueness, and like vulnerability. And like these are the three things we need in order to connect with each other in real life and like on social. So people don't want to connect with like walls and robots and things that are perfectly facing. They want to connect with what they can relate to. And people can only relate if it's real. And if it's and in order to be real, you need to be vulnerable because society tells us to do everything but that, you know? Yeah. So what advice would you give to creatives, um, photographers, artists, writers, anyone who's trying to make a name for themselves uh, on social media, in the world? What's, what, what's the top advice you would give? The advice I would give is to focus on telling your story. And don't focus on what you think other people want to hear. Just focus on being true to yourself. Figure out what story you want to tell and then tell that fucking story. Like, that's it. Anything else is, is, is like, washed. It's like it, anything else is coming from a place of, like, thinking that's what you're supposed to do as opposed to what you're actually supposed to do. Does sounds, that make sense? Yeah, that sounds simple enough. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds it. simple, but just, it's all in the execution. Just tell your story. Tell yeah. your story. But it's all in the execution, like everything else, you know, like a great business yeah. idea is only good if you execute it properly. So same is true, I guess, for what you just said. So it's a combination yeah. of all those things. Um, Sarah, what are you working on next? Uh, I am launching a company in a few weeks. <laughs> really? What kind of company? Yeah, um, I am making... Um, it's I'm making I'm making sweatsuits. I'm gonna say that, but like, uh, it's a movement. That's all I'll say. Okay. Well, we got the yeah. scoop, kind of the half the scoop here. <laughs> it sounds really interesting. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to share it. <laughs> cool. So quite a departure, also. So I'm sure it'll be. I'm sure it's not just gonna be like you know regular sweat sweatpants. No, you'll see. They're great. They're, it's a it's a lifestyle. <laughs> I'm sure they're sexy. 
for sure. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. It's been so great having you. I feel like I need to hang out with you so that some of your mojo like will rub off on me. well thanks Um, again for joining us of course thanks for having me this was nice it was lovely chatting it was and best of luck with everything Uh, your work is amazing and I think um, you're making a lot of people feel better about themselves and inspiring a lot of people so keep up the great work thank you love have a good day you too (laughs) that's all my friends I hope you enjoyed today's episode I know you're thinking of getting some takeout right now, but be sure to click that subscribe button before you do that so you'll know when a new episode comes out. See you next time.